0: We take a single episode of a science fiction TV series and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. This is the Fusion Patrol podcast. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm Ben. And tonight we're talking about the Series 2, Episode 2, Space, 1999 episode, The Exiles. Just 403 days out from Earth, Moonbase Alpha encounters a swarm of space bees that, that turn out to be missiles, which turn out to be life support pods. The Alphans open two of the pods and meet Kantor and Zova, two helpless refugees and exiles from the awful planet Golos. In just a few hours, the moon's gravity will cause the other pods to break, killing all of the occupants. They plead with Koenig to save them. Koenig takes a hard line against them waking up, though. Alpha's life support system cannot handle 50 more people. But Helena and Tony show John that if the human race were all like the pig-headed man he is, then they don't really deserve to live anyway. So Koenig relents, but but not before shooting Kantor with a laser to make sure that their weapons will work on them. They do... So Koenig knows they're safe. Except they're not, because Cantor was totally playing stunned. Now he and Zova modify Alpha's recycling systems to make them more efficient. (laughs) Or so they claim they're really making a teleporter to take them and Helena and Tony back to Golos, where 300 years has elapsed since they were exiled. It turns out the Galosians were really peaceful people and Kantor can hold the entire planet hostage with just one alpha laser weapon. He sends Zova back to revive the other pods, threatening to kill Helena if Koenig doesn't comply. In a bit of patented Oscar-winning Martin Landau acting, Koenig crumples like a cheap suit and lets them start the retrieval process. Once in space, he murders Zova by tossing her into space. Back on Golos, Helena murders Cantor. The grateful Golosians send Helena and Tony away from their perfect, peaceful planet and return them to their barren, lifeless rock in space. The end. <clears throat> so, the exiles. What'd you think?
1: Well, I guess you just can't judge a Golosian by its membrane. <laughs> Uh, I will say I like this one a
0: lot better than last week's or uh, Metamorph.
1: <clears throat> well,
0: I felt like I it was. Yes, it was more story there. I mean, it wasn't it's, very it's linear story, but <laughs> it's linear. <clears throat> it, I suppose. I suppose. I, yes, it doesn't. It doesn't get played out of order. I just, you know, there's some plot twists in this one that you don't see foreshadowed. Therefore, <clears throat> I guess you could consider instead of linear, there's sort of Right angle turns, but
1: um, but you know what I mean when I yeah, say linear. I mean right. it's not an abstract kind no, of no. bizarre story.
0: No, no, no. It's. I just mean, it's, a, it has
1: a beginning, it has a middle, it has an end.
0: Yes, yes, it
1: it does. Um,
0: and as as um, Chekhov's guns go, the membrane uh, around them wasn't too badly telegraphed. A little bit. A tiny bit, but not overplayed. It wasn't overplayed. It was at least in the context of Helena kind of describing something to do with
1: the cryogenic process. Right. And I will say that was well played because it was just the right amount of mention to not overplay it and make it the obvious smoking gun in the room. Right. And I
0: think I knew it was the obvious smoking gun simply because... I've seen it I before. remember there being a saran wrap torn episode, and the guy dies before and I had forgotten it was this one but but I remembered that plot device, and upon watching it that I go, oh yeah, it was this episode, okay, no problem but uh, so um <clears throat> uh, i to me well no i didn't I didn't get your answer apart from is it's linear better worse than the
1: metamorph um it's linear. It's that's my answer. Okay, <clears throat> I've seen this thing twice now, uh, uh, because I I just felt like I had to, not because I wanted to, and I there were moments where I just thought, wow, this is this is weak, and then the moments I thought, well, okay, okay, I I give props there. I mean, I like the fact, believe it or not, I actually like the fact that Koenig was taking a hard line on this. I thought his uh, I, I thought his logic was absolutely spot on, mm. and and I thought that uh, I, I Helena he and close. Tony were way off.
0: Well, yes, I, I'll I will go. Yes, sort of. Um, Helena and Tony filling in for Victor were definitely on the side of the invaders, as ha- was always, you know, in the past. Well, John, I mean, you know, kind of thing, and uh, but Tony was a little. I, I felt cunning was a little too far gone. On the why must you always be so distrustful, John? When the safety of apples at stake, I must be. Yeah, I mean, he, yeah, he really yeah. Over the it top. was there.
1: it he it was overdramatic. I'm just I'm just simply and, thinking about his motivation. And seriously, the scene where he spins
0: around and lasers Cantor just to see if their stun weapons work. Wow. Yeah, uh, I mean, that okay. Was,
1: yeah, yeah. It was it was a little. It, that was overplayed but i'm just simply referring to um his reasoning was it was was the acting overdone of course it was yeah you know, i wouldn't expect anything different from this show but was it, i'm just i'm just referring to his uh his thought process how however he uh acted it out you know be that be that as it may i thought his thought process and his reasoning was accurate do you think that he was Um,
0: distrustful of them. No, distrustful is not the right word, but let's call it distrustful. Do you think he was taking a hard line against them because they're aliens? I don't trust them because I kind of got a little of that. I did. And or because we just can't handle 50 more people on our life support system. I think it was a bit of both. You know, that that sort of hard, cold calculation that says, you know, there's not much we can do about that.
1: I think it's a bit of both. I I think that maybe yeah, the the idea of yes, we have a very balanced, you know, a, almost out of balance uh, support system going on here, and because it is so precarious, I can't trust you. Kind of interesting. So I, yeah, I think I think one reasoning fed into the other.
0: Just sixty days ago, he took aboard another life form to uh, to join their crew.
1: Yeah, but that was sixty days ago.
0: Oh, I see. Okay. Now they're full. They had the room right. for one because Picard, Lou Picard, died, and so now they can bring on board. Actually, I think they lost two people, so they could have. Pro- they probably could have survived with Cantor and Zova, but you know none of the other fifty. Um, yeah, I, 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 you might have you might have detected that I had some issues with their behavior in this in this episode. I get that they're the bad guys and we're supposed to kill them, but it seemed a little egregious in this episode because of his hardline, almost anti-alien stance. He, he just, I, I, I thought the character was, I don't know. It just didn't quite seem right. Obviously it's not the same Koenig we saw in series one. This is a different man. And maybe he's been burned by their 400 days in space. I don't know if that's what's intended, but it just, it's odd. And I think that's part of these changes that have been put in place in the show to make it more. Koenig's less of a thinker and more of a hothead. And he wasn't Mm. much of a thinker before. No. (laughs) So, um, okay. One, One thing that I point out that, first off, there's a lot of danger signs in caves on the moon. Did you notice that? When they took the
1: yes, I did notice that, especially especially, not so much the first viewing, but I really caught it when I saw it the second time. I thought, okay, I, I guess they really want to communicate the fact that what's that this is a dangerous situation. So, so here's my
0: question: Do you think that they put those signs up just because they were bringing the pod in, or do you think those signs were up all the time and that's like the danger room and this is where they do their danger stuff?
1: That's kind of why I just assumed that was the second one. So, I mean, that yeah, that's that's like the danger room. That's why we've got to like you know beat people into the head with the idea that this is a dangerous situation. And there is no indication
0: of what sort of danger it is. So, somebody walking up to that room looking and going, Oh, there's danger in there, but not like chemical hazards, radiation hazards. alien prison hazard i mean it's a i mean it it was a nice set and it was very kind of cool looking and then of course you had the danger signs reflecting on the glass windows and stuff but they didn't observe very much in the way of danger protocol for example the uh, two technicians who were wearing contamination suits right um when they decide you know First off, they had them in there and they're checking it for biological contamination and radiation contamination and all that stuff. And the I think it's Maya who says, well, we won't be able to know if there's any radiation or contamination inside until we pierce the shell. Or maybe Helena said that. So they mm-hmm. clear the room, turn the lasers on, fire the laser hole and create an opening into the shell. And then they all run into the room guys in biohazard su- or in hazard suits with their hats off, Koenig and Maya just walking into the room. They yes. don't even bother to check for anything. And then once they're in there and they're looking around, Helena goes, "Well, there's still no sign of biological contamination." I'm like,
1: "Oh." <laughs> yeah. I I that was one of the moments that I just shook my head. I thought, "Okay, this is really bad writing." <laughs>
0: I'm so glad they went to the trouble of having that sealed off room those guys in suits so that they could bring Mm. quarantine the first moment that they brought it. so one of the things about that sequence if you will was how incredibly unnecessary it was and I'm not picking on them in that respect but that whole thing could have been condensed from the moment they decide to recover one of the capsules all the way up to the point where they were basically getting into the capsule could have been eliminated completely. Um, and obviously they wouldn't have made it for time. So what I feel like is that we got a lot of, I don't know how much time it took up. I should have checked, but I feel like we got a lot of basically kind of pretty filler going into space, going out on the spacewalk, And Hey, I remember an episode of a public access TV show that had air jetpacks every bit as good as as those. Really? Uh, I don't. I don't. No. I, I have no memory of that. And going out and looking at the capsule and basically learning nothing about it, except it's got rocket fuel, propulsion, bringing it in, taking it down, spending the time to learn nothing about it, cut it open, explode it, have the guy come out. All of that was pretty filler, because I don't think the story yeah, huh? had room for it. And I'm not saying that there isn't room for that. It did you know, okay, so maybe filler. it didn't it didn't feel like filler. did not to didn't, me. Didn't you get that kind of, hey, wait, look, there's some space bees. Let's look at the space bees. Ooh, maybe we should go on red alert. No, no. Okay, never mind. You know something? The space bees are going to leave us alone. Now they're turning towards us. Uh-oh. Now we better go back on red alert. Oh, they're missiles. And then there's that sort of protocol that they go through that, oh, no, no, they're coming to Alpha. Get ready. Whoa, we're going to die. We're ge- Alpha, Eagle's launched. Laser's ready. We're never going to be able to stop those missiles. Oh, they're going into orbit. Oh, okay. Um... All right, let's try something different then. And it it just, I mean, I don't know that I would have done anything different um, under those circumstances. But at the same time, I I just kind of was feeling like I was being fed a bit of story, and then they were changing their mind. And then I was being fed a little bit more. And I was thinking, was it really necessary for those space bees to do the course change? Couldn't they have just come straight at the moon and orbited or... It, it it did feel a bit like filler to me and yeah, in that I, I
1: suppose in retrospect, I could see why and yeah, maybe now that I think back on it, it does feel a little bit more like filler. It didn't seem so at the time, but now that I look back on that entire um sequence of events, a lot of it does feel unnecessary. It's procedurally cool, yeah, but unnecessary for the sake of the story. Yeah. Yeah, it didn't,
0: I didn't, I mean, there wasn't enough story there to drive, you know, to fill up the time, obviously, but because it's just, you know, a little bit of linear. Uh.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it's just a little linear.
0: But, you know, the, the eagle with the hook, uh, the claw, and the jetpacks, and going out on the spacewalk, and, and honestly, I loved the danger cave. I really did. I thought, you know, it's about time that we began to see that Alpha isn't just that little cluster of buildings. Right. That there are some other places. I mean, you know, they probably could have gone over to nuclear waste dump too or something and used those facilities. I mean, they, you know, there's bound to be little buildings and, and stuff elsewhere on the moon that they're, that they could have used. So I, I liked the, I liked that aspect of it and I liked the look of it where it's kind of embedded in the moon rock.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought it was a nice touch.
0: So... I, I'm not going to fault them for world-building, but at the same no, time... No, I have conflict.
1: no. I have no problem with the world-building. I actually like that a lot, um, and I kept thinking, gee, maybe, okay, why didn't we see this in season one? Well, you could come up with any number of reasons. Um, purely from a behind-the-scenes standpoint, it was a production cost. Uh, maybe for uh, going forward... It could be said, maybe with their little adventures out into space, they've realized that now they have to have something like this. Maybe something was constructed during this entire time by which they could actually have that cave to be able to handle such danger, danger, danger situations like that. Hey, uh, Tony, what are we doing with those danger signs? Uh, I think they're in Alan's bedroom, but I think we can get
0: them back. Okay, let's do that. Um,
1: Victor's been hiding them.
0: (laughs) That's, that's, yes. I can <laughs> Yeah. So, and, and, you know, the procedure with the, the fire suppression systems coming down mm-hmm. from the ceiling and the, the laser drill and everything, it, it all had a, it all had a kind of cool, Moonbase Alpha is a real place kind of feel to it, to me. Um, yeah. That, that yeah. I, that, that I like. And I, do you ever have one of those, um. Do you ever have one of those social media moments where you see a notification come across on your phone and you skim it briefly, you get the gist of the content, and then later on you cannot figure out where that social media post was? All the time. Okay, well, one of our listeners (laughs) sent something, which I haven't been able to find yet, that said... And I don't know who it was, because I, I literally saw it as it scammed by, and I was looking for it earlier today, and I haven't found it yet. I'm, I don't know where it was, but basically it said, maybe I'm a heretic, but I like Series 2 better than, than Series 1. Indeed. On Space 1999. And I'll tell you something. I think, I think when I was a kid, I liked Series 2 better than Series 1.
1: I did. I, I liked Series 2 better when I was a kid. Uh-huh. Um, and now that I'm a little older, a lot older. <laughs> just like, well,
0: the fact that we were kids when Space 1999 was actually airing. I know. And, and not little kids either. Medium-sized True. kids. Yeah. True. So.
1: But now that I am older um, and have a little bit more, I'm not going to say wisdom because that's not the word, but um, uh, a greater sense of, ooh, shoot. Something like uh, discretion, not discretion. That's not the word. I can't think of the word I want. Discerning. Yeah, thank you. A greater sense. Yes, uh, but yeah, discerning. I can look back on that and think that um, while season two's stories were uh, more straightforward, I think I prefer season one because while they missed the boat a lot, at least they were trying for something that was really different. Yeah, but in I terms heard of, of not just in terms of story, but also in terms of the way they filmed it because one of the things that we've talked about especially in season 1, there were some fabulous episodes where we got just awesome camera angles, lighting, just some really great production value. The story may be thin, but the production values were just off the chart. They were fantastic and I'm not seeing that. In fact, if anything I'm seeing uh a lowering of quality purely from a a production point of view. Yes, I think um, the command center looks kind of cool as opposed to the sterile main mission that we had. Um, Although in retrospect now, I think I like main mission better. Uh, But it doesn't seem to be stretching the imagination that I thought uh, Series 1 did for us. I
0: think so. I think so. But I, you know, I, I can just guarantee I would have eaten the procedural stuff up.
1: Oh, I would have too. Because you know, I I, I, know. You know what I
0: would have done? I I literally would have gone out afterwards, and you know, with my friends playing Space Nineteen Ninety Nine. The procedural stuff is the stuff that you can, you can really see. That's your teeth. Yeah, it's what you relate to. Yeah, absolutely. It was.
1: um, uh-huh. I know, and I did the same thing I mean I'm right there I, I i I won't argue any of that, yeah, as a kid, it was the series two stuff that i that I latched on to better, but as an adult um i'm i I have a, a different kind of sensibility now when it comes to science fiction. It's not just the the shoot 'em up kind of thing, it's some of the deeper ideas and again, while series one, I think missed the boat a lot of times. At least they were taking chances at trying to tell something different. Mm.
0: Well, we're only two episodes in, so um, you know we can we'll see if they they find their groove. But um, anyway, one thing I thought was interesting, uh, you know, back where you we were talking about the Black Sun, mm-hmm. you know, the changes in terminology or or the lack of understanding terminology, cryobiology. Oh yeah, instead of cryonics, right. I mean, I knew exactly what she meant, but it's like, okay, whatever. I'm also a little – I know this is is really nitpicking. I know it's really nitpicking because we've seen it time and time in Space 1999. But for some reason in this episode, it seemed much worse to me. Cantor's first words were English.
1: English, yes. I know. I, I felt that too. And that was bugging me to no end. You
0: know, at least some of the other ones. It's it seems like the aliens are trying to learn our language or something. But Cantor's had no chance, no time whatsoever. Mm-hmm. He opens his eyes. He looks at the humans. He goes, "My name is Cantor. is
1: Cantor." I know. Like, yeah, that bothered me greatly. I
0: thought, wow, they could have at least, you know, Conan could have at least tried speaking to him first.
1: Well, you know, if they, if you're going to here, here's a great opportunity where, uh, while some of the the space. Uh, space padding that we got earlier in this episode, that could easily have been cut for the sake of stretching out just a little bit to try and establish a communication barrier. Mm -hmm. That would have worked out really well. But no. And I get the feeling that's not the the first or the last time that we're going to see this this season. Yeah, probably not.
0: And uh, I've got several notes in here. I talked a little bit about Koenig being the heart um <clears throat> <heartache>. and uh <laughs> but I also heartache heartache yeah as a, I suppose that other word we could have tried to avoid but anyway Koenig is very pragmatic and he makes he makes a comment to Helena that says because he he really wants that the secrets of cryobiology and he says Helena we've got to keep him alive to figure out how to open one of the other pods so that we can get the secret of cryobiology it's an unspoken clause there but that's what he says and mm-hmm. helena turns on him and says john i'm a doctor i keep him alive for the sake of keeping him alive that's the first rebuke he gets in this episode from her you right you know oh, you're only in it for you help us we'll help you and i'm a doctor i'm a compassionate person and i thought that line was a little weird at the time but then when we get to the point later on where, you know, Helen and Tony are sitting there in his cabin and saying, John, you have to help these people. If you if you don't help them, what kind of people are we? Are these the kind of people we want to be? And you know, and all that. I mean it was really very, very it was very Captain Kirk coming out of Tony. Yeah. Yeah, and, I I caught that caught that? Koenig is like, Yeah no. You know, I watched these guys die. So got to kill him. Right. (laughs) He was really, (laughs) I thought, boy, we couldn't have had, we couldn't have, we couldn't have turned this around more. And, and I do have to ask the question whether or not Fred Freiberger, and I suspect we're still not going to get to him. I'm sure we'll have plenty of time. I I wonder because Fred Freiberger, of course, famously worked on the third series of, of Star Trek. And uh, some people have vilified him, but really, you know, there were reasons they had to bring in another producer, and, and some could say that he kept it on the air for another year. So it's, um, it's a 6 one a half dozen other, but obviously he is aware of the notion of science fiction being a, a, a field for the discussion of ideas about the nature of humanity and yeah. and thing, And I wonder if that is injected in this episode here because of let's present those ideas – But the problem is, is that they're presented backwards. They're by Tony and Helena, not the commander. Not by Koenig. Yeah. And then Koenig turns out to be right. In the end, Tony and Helena were completely dead wrong
1: Uh
0: about these aliens. Koenig was contractually, once again, right in in the course of the episode. And that just... I was like, "Eh." (laughs) yeah... Uh, there's something wrong here. There's just mm-hmm. something. And and then there's another line. And let me see if I can find it. Because um, I wrote it down. Um, oh, yeah. We're all grateful. Dr. Russell. Alpha's returning to normality and everyone's going back to this stuff. And we're all grateful for Commander Koenig's compassion. Wow. Talk about a cult of personality there. Mm. That was a really – it's like, well, you know, we'll just all live under his shadow. But if he's giving compassion, we're all happy. <laughs> like, I was like,
1: okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, You know, I, I'm glad you articulated that because there was something about it that was bothering me, but I couldn't put my finger on it. But that's it. Felt- the, but, yeah, it, it was just – it just really it, – it set me off. Uh, and, and I felt uncomfortable with that but i couldn't i i couldn't tell you what it was until you just identified it <laughs>
0: so yeah um anyway uh the 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 plan as we stated was for the Galosian exiles uh are going to fix our recycling system or alpha's recycling system see it's feel like i live there it's, it's such a lived in place i already feel like i personally live on moonbase alpha and um you know was um i'm not even going to go there at some point during series two of space 1999 discussions i will go there but i am not going to go there today and um (laughs) it's a little too early in the Maya tony relationship to get into this
1: oh oh well if we're going to start talking about that kind of flirtatious thing we 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 will do that we have to yeah we got to discuss helena and helena
0: Oh, I think, well, no, there's, there's worse. There is somebody on Moonbase Alpha that is more mentally unstable than John Koenig. And it's so obvious in this episode. It was it was bugging me. It was really freaking me out. And it, I've seen this many times before. It never occurred to me before. But when I was watching it this time, I'm like, that's just twisted. Okay? okay. It is. Dr. Russell... Has taken up sculpting,
1: yeah. and what did
0: she choose to sculpt? It's herself?
1: How now? Yeah, now she is that sculpts- narcissism at its finest? Now, she, and then now, the what excuse does she do is- with it? What does she well, do with it? She gives it to her boyfriend. Yeah, she's
0: going <laughs> to give it to John. Do you remember the overly attached girlfriend meme on the internet?
1: Oh, there well, she yeah. is.
0: That's her. That is that is really weird. It's like, uh you know, I want to I want to do my own face, so. How am I gonna do that? I I could I, I there's three hundred and eleven people on Moonbase. I could carve, do their face, but how to do mine, so hey, let's get Maya. Maya in here. <laughs> Masquerade is <as> me. <laughs> now I can do this. It's like okay, you guys didn't think very far into this one. <laughs> and then what does she do at the end? She makes John fix it.
1: Yeah. Like Give me a nice nose. Yeah, you uh, you busted this face. I, 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 that's supposed to be humor, but well, the w- the one question that I've got in all of this now is: Does that poor statue need Botox? <laughs> I'm sorry. Did I just go there? Did I just go there? I'm sorry, Helena. I re- Barbara, I I really do love you.
0: Based on what we saw with um, uh, uh, what's her name? Zova, working her fingers into that face. I would say that the clay that the clay statue.
1: As more flexible skin. Than I think it's a Barbara. more accurate representation. Ooh, whoops. I'm sorry. Did I just go there again? Oh, darn it. Barbara, you, you really, I, I really do love you. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, uh, anyway. Our but aliens... yeah, that, that, that clay face definitely needs to have its skin pulled now. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah, it definitely needs some work.
1: <laughs> um, the aliens
0: managed to build a teleporter. From the life support system. From the
1: life support system. Well, the, the, the power generator that is connected to the life support system. But so, yeah.
0: So their alien technology is obviously much better than than uh, Maya's. Why couldn't Maya build a teleporter?
1: <laughs> yeah. After all that spiel that we get about how advanced their science is. I guess it's not advanced enough
0: to get them off the planet Saigon.
1: Apparently not. The
0: planet of the 12th grade science fair. And <laughs> so, and then they beam themselves to Golos. Really? It, I guess, I guess if you wanted to take over a planet and you'd failed and you'd been put into exile and you arrived somewhere, I guess your first thought would be, how do we get back to that planet again? But it doesn't strike me as being my first choice. Or I can make a teleporter. Maybe I should beam myself to a nice planet somewhere and I can run that out planet. my planet. Yeah. yeah. But no. They want to go back to Golos, which apparently is so peaceful and friendly and that the entire planet can be destroyed with one hand laser. Because that's yeah. what it kinda, that's kinda, how kinda it what looks. It appears. Yeah. Alright. I'm you know, I'm thinking just the throng of bodies of billions of people even in non you know, Non-aggressive, passive, resistant. If you had that many people, they could just fill the room, and they wouldn't be able to shoot anybody, or you know, they could kill a few people. But you know, eventually they'd get enough bodies in there that they could suppress Cantor. But we don't get that. We just get an old lady <clears throat> comes in and talks to him, and then they don't rescue the Alphans. No. If if Cantor can make a teleport out of Alpha's life support system. Then that must be technology that the can, that the Galosians had three hundred years ago. Which presumably they have better technology three hundred years. Well, yeah,
1: you'd think that by now it's kind of it, it's a bit more up to date. So could you
0: help us get home? You'd think the Galosians would say, "Why well, we have a teleporter right here? We'll just uh, track you, you back on you? that beam." And you know yeah. something, I, you people are lost in space.
1: Let's send you home. Why, why don't you just come live with us? Oh, that's not a bad idea. Oh, but, you know, we can't because we actually have a balanced ecosystem. I'd be willing to bet.
0: This, but in my opinion, this is our first opportunity for the elephants to get off that rock. If anybody had been thinking, there should have at least been a line of dialogue that said, we asked them, but there was no way for them to set up their teleporter. They only had to use this beam, for, you know, and it would blow out our life support systems. Like, or something, anything, but... Basically, nobody even thought of it. It's mm. like they're not even looking for a place to live at this point. Uh,
1: and then, no, it's because like yeah, they're they like really being can... in this
0: beautiful blue glow. That's
1: uh... well, only only in that part of space, and, and and it's it's and it's it's all all because of John Koenig's command ship. You know his his, his uh, command skills. And his compassion that we have this this nice blue glow and feeling of we well being for everybody. We are
0: grateful for John Koenig.
1: We are grateful for John Koenig. <laughs> the cult, the of, cult. Of yeah, so so cult of personality.
0: Oh boy. Um. Okay, the two the two Doctor Russell scenes. Go.
1: Oh dear Lord. Um. To me. I, 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 I'm I not entirely sure what I'm supposed to feel about that. Uh, I, and, and I, I kind of sort of have to echo, but in a more serious manner, what Tony was saying, you know, talking about the whole court martial thing. Now, granted, while that bit was played for laughs, I kind of looked at this and I thought, well, one, th- th- this is really uh, unprofessional for starters. But we, apparently that seems to be running rampant. We got a lot of unprofessional last week, with uh, the one, um, what's her name? I can't think of her name anymore. Who just had a complete nervous breakdown in, in Tony's arms?
0: Yeah, his wife, yeah, her Baxter's wife, yeah,
1: yeah, Baxter's wife. Um, but at the same time, it it just—I'm not sure what kind of game Helen is trying to play here. <laughs> I, <clears throat> I agree because clearly she's she's totally in on this. I mean, it's. She had. She didn't seem to be the least bit surprised when she turns around and you know there's again, you know Maya. Now I, I, we ha, we do need to point out that the the scene that leads up to this is is very very truncated. It, it feels terribly edited. I mean we come we must assume that yes, as uh, as as Helena is sculpting this 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 narcissistic head of hers that looks better than she does. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, she's got to go to Maya, who can. You know, change your you know obviously change your shape to, to look like Helena with all the Botox and pulled skin, uh, so that Helena can then actually make make this statue statue head. It makes perfect sense. But the way we get into that scene is very weird. With Helena giving my this you know you'd be the envy of everybody. You know, change the color of your hair, your eyes. You know, lose some weight here, put some more weight on there. Blah 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 blah. It's a very weird abrupt moment. So we can only assume that maybe Maya had been doing her little, um, her little magic act for uh, for Helena's sake, which could all would now uh, well, would explain she why she Helena. In,
0: <clears throat> I mean, I well, never that, got I this. Say this. She was never in Helena's
1: form in that scene, was she? No, she wasn't. But and it's that's... the way that scene cuts right in. Now we, now you and I had just said that it makes sense if helena is calling upon maya to turn into her yep. purely so that helena can can sculpt this head that that is totally logical i mean i don't know the motivation is, it seems still, totally logical yeah well, yeah the, the, the yeah the motivation is just completely whacked but the the methodology makes perfect sense So I don't have a problem if that indeed happened. And maybe that was even filmed because, again, it feels very strangely edited. And it would then later explain why Helena did not completely flip out when all of a sudden she turns around as John walks in because this all happens in just moments. Literally, it's just mere moments. John comes in and then all of a sudden there's two Helenas and, and our Helena doesn't seem to be the least bit surprised.
0: And it's kind of weirdly placed in the episode, too. You know, the whole thing where they all go back to, to being sort of,
1: well, because of John's uh, uh, and this, ha- Yeah, and passionate. this happens, right? This this happens shortly after that uh, contentious scene between Helena and Tony on one side of the argument and John on the other. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, now we're playing this game? Well, I mean, it's another thing about them playing this game, too.
0: In Series 1, there was some very almost chaste um indication of romance budding between Oh, Koenig are you kidding? Russell.
1: I mean it took forever for that to come around.
0: Yes. And it was I mean very, in the beginning very... it was
1: downright it it was animosity. Mm-hmm. And here
0: not only do we get the scene where you've got the two of them kissing Koenig, but there is the unwritten implication that Koenig should be able to tell them apart because he has been kissing.
1: That's Dr. the other Russell. thing that really bugs me is that um Helena clearly has no problem with the idea of Maya masquerading as her and then planting a wet one on, on John. I mean, I get, really? i, gotta I, tell I you. That would flip me out.
0: I, I got to tell you, when I would watch this as a, an 11 or 12-year-old and this scene played out, and more importantly, the scene at the end with, with her turning into a hag and, and goading Tony to kissing her that scene turns over very very differently in my mind <laughs> at my age now now I'm it's sure like, it does oh wow <laughs> like, I I totally did not get what could be done with this <laughs> when I was 12
1: right but oh, oh I, I I totally get it
0: I totally get it yeah uh yeah that's it's a very very different spin on that scene on both of those scenes it's like oh maya could be a lot of fun <laughs> that's,
1: that's just, yeah, she's she's great at
0: parties yeah um anyhow <laughs> um but yes there is there is the the uh, clearly dr russell and and koning and and we also know from you know historical that One of the other areas that they wanted to talk about or that they wanted to enhance in Space 1999 was the uh, humor and the interpersonal relationships so that these people weren't all dour and broody all the time. Right. Whether or not it successfully fit in this particular point in the middle of this episode, I'm not Uh, sure. If it had been at the beginning of the episode before they see the swarm of space bees...
1: This would have made so much more sense. It would have worked better, but I still feel the context is just a little bit bizarre. Again, with Helena being so cool with, hey, why don't you masquerade, uh, you know, pretend you're that you're me and just stick your tongue down my boyfriend's throat. Um, it didn't appear to be a tonguey kiss, but
0: I, you know, who we knows? Could we couldn't tell. It, it's kind of it's kind of hard to tell. Um, but, uh, it, you know, swing in 70s. <laughs> like projecting forward into 1999. I remember how Jerry Anderson was with UFO.
1: Oh, that's true.
0: It's very, uh, very casual. Maybe,
1: okay. So maybe we got some really loose morals here. It's a small
0: base and, uh, they've all been sterilized so they can't have babies. So, you know,
1: what are you going to do? Um, they have it up puzzles. But, you know, time kind, <laughs> at the same time, that kind of sort of in some weird way. And, and it's probably just me. But that sort of flies in the face with something that we're going to see in the next 1999 episode.
0: Mm. Well, we don't want to go there just yet, but yeah. No, not quite. But oh, it's still. I know which one it is. Oh, yeah, you know the one I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. I wish. I wish I hadn't thought of that. All right. Well, anyway. Uh, oh, so here's one other thing. Here's one other thing I want to point out about this. This Koenig and Russell. At the end of the episode, it appears. I think. I think the intent here is that Koenig is sitting brooding at his desk. And he thinks that they have lost Helena and Tony forever. I think that's what he has to conclude. And yet, Sandra goes, there's a massive power surge in the, the whatever bay, or Maya says it, or whoever says that. And they run down there. And meanwhile, Tony and, and Helena have returned. And they're running towards the commander. And they're, you know, dashing. We're excited. We're home. And the second... Helena and John see each other. They both stop running at opposite ends of the corner and slow down to a crawl. And Doctor Russell goes into full on "I'm swaying my hips" mode. I'm just kind of cash here. It was very weird. Did you notice that? Hmm. It I, it it felt um. And now I'm gonna be
1: coy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I thought. Really, I mean, you've just been through something that's just a little bit—I'm not going to say traumatic—but you know, th- there was the threat of you're never going to see this guy again. Uh, you just had uh, all those years of Botox just done away, and now you got to do it again. Ouch! Um, and 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 now you're just going to be—you know—you're you're returned, and now you're going to play coy with your boyfriend. I mean, that just felt wrong. On a number of levels, uh, and, and it, it keeps I keep scratching my head thinking what what, what are we trying to get out of this? What, what are they trying to tell us about this relationship between the two of them that it's st- it's just we're still in the flirtatious period? I
0: don't know. I don't know what it was supposed to convey. Um, anyway, um, let's see. We have a couple things before we get to the uh, the murder scenes. Um, I loved when they had the explosion, that the first person responding was a, uh, was a woman on okay. Alpha. I don't know if you saw that, where she's like, there's an explosion, and the first thing, she's just piling in there trying to pull the debris aside. Oh, yes, yes, I did see that. You know, it wasn't like a security guard or anything, it was like just the nearest Alpha, and it's like, hey, I need to, I've got to help people, whereas in the past, I think what would have happened is they would have gone running, screaming and running in Series 1. The, the female crew members of Alpha have been pretty much, you know, let's run back to the sunroom, ah! screaming, mm, yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. So I thought that was kind of cool, um, just because of the way they, it, it was so matter-of-fact, just explosion, and she just happened to be passing and goes straight to it, and we never really see that crewman crow on again, because uh-huh, it's true. You know, it's just it's just somebody there. It's an extra doing the job. until um, Maya comes in to lift the girder in her gorilla thought,
1: <laughs> alien gorilla thing.
0: <laughs> gorilla. She's really handy. I mean, without her, I, it's you know. Fortunately, unfortunately, on Alpha they don't have anything called a lever uh or anything like that. That, that or or anyone who has that knowledge. So they need the
1: alien gorilla thing. Um. Well, that's. <laughs> I, I was I was kind of feeling a little weird for Maya when uh, Koenig, you know, they, they can't lift the girder, so Koenig says, Maya, we need you here. It's like, oh, that's all I'm good for. Uh
0: huh. We need you here, Maya. <laughs> Turn into something strong, would you? <laughs> like, yeah. And then afterward, do us one of your party tricks. <laughs> exactly.
1: <laughs> now do Helena.
0: Now do Helena.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the whole thing just felt kind of just. Like she's just, uh, yeah. Not I don't know what 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 does I, I I don't know, but it feels like they're taking advantage of her. Yes, for all the wrong
0: reasons. <laughs> yes, it does. And I'll tell you another one with when we're on the changing into animals. Trend. Oh yeah. So she and Tony, Tony gets shot <laughs> by the aliens. Maya transforms into a tiger. Leap, panther. Panther, excuse me. Leaps into the room. It scares them. They drop their weapons. And she does nothing. And she sits there. Well, because as... they haven't trained the damn panther to do anything about that. And and they're both, like, looking at the weapon on the floor. And, and Zola slowly reaches down and bends over and gets the weapon and then shoots her and maya just stands there as the panther the whole time it's like all she had to do was to move closer to that laser (laughs) but she didn't make any sense at all no it it, it made no sense now we did in this episode get the uh, notation that she can hold a a form for an hour
1: yes this is the first time we've heard that no, I don't have to
0: mention of that. So uh, I think we may and, have mentioned it and, earlier, but uh, uh, no,
1: it Well, we never, you and I may have mentioned oh, it. Oh, we might last have podcast. mentioned yeah. it. I don't remember if we did or not, but this is the first time in the series that we've heard it. And luckily, at least that will sort of remain canon.
0: But that's, you know, that's long enough for her party tricks.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh. <laughs> Oh, dear, dear, I mean, I don't know if I I'm want to never, see you know, I'm the, the old never hag gonna watch again. Show. I'm never going to be able to watch this show the same again. I'm just no. never, never going to look at the budding romance between Tony and Maya the same again. It's Mm-mm. just, nope, nope, can't, can't go there. Uh, <laughs> okay, so they threaten Helena, so Koenig has to go along with them. <laughs>
1: Mm, yeah two episodes yeah.
0: in a row no three episodes in a row maybe even four episodes in a row going going back to you know at least a testament of arcadia and i think maybe the one before it this is getting monotonous in the i mean he's willing to let those 53 people in the pods die you know hey right for alpha i can't You know, sometimes you got to make those command decisions like that guy on a Venus probe. You got to you got to kill him. It's like, "Okay, we'll kill Dr. Russell. Oh, no, you can't do that. (laughs) And of course, he's faking it. Oh, of course he is. Again. Again. Yeah. And I, I, you know, it's one thing in the episode where Baylor is killing people and he tries to lure him to although it can't be his doom but you know trying to lure him into space and and get him off of alpha because he's an immediate threat mm-hmm. there is something about the way he kills ola in this that seems not on the same moral equivalency as with as with baylor and i'm not sure why but it really does feel like he just murders her.
1: Does it felt a little heartless? Um, yeah, it felt it felt like more like murder. I mean, granted, I he, Koenig was kind of backed into a into a corner. I mean, he didn't want to go along with what they were saying, but right, he didn't want them to get away with it. So I, I could see his quandary, but wow, the method in which he uses by and just. I'm, kicking her out of the space like that yeah. just felt very cold hearted. And I'm not sure. Oh. I'm not sure it would have been effective. Yeah, I kind of wonder about it because she does have um, she, she said that the 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 uh, the entire uh, life support system etc. you know, it was key to her thoughts. So I would have thought that if, if that's the case, then I mean she unless, it's a, while she was floating, unless it's unless it's a there.
0: distance thing in which case they were safe and they didn't need to kill her.
1: All right. Because they're up on the eagle. Although she does have that magic touch, you know the, the, the Galician back pinch.
0: Oh, that's true. The gal- I forgot about that.
1: <laughs> should have
0: should have thought of that. But you know they could have they could have stunned her with kill. That's another one for. <laughs> that's another one. Um, did they know enough about the physiology of these aliens that they know that stun wouldn't kill them? Apparently not. Yeah, but then stunned, again, there's hard. that stupid membrane that keeps getting in the way. That's true. It Did stop the uh, cardio. Oh, anything, and then what about Doctor Russell killing Cantor? Hers, I felt, My, was a little more justified.
1: Well, her case, I kind of, yeah, I, I felt it, it. I felt that was justified, and it was a desperate move. You know, he's shooting things up. Yep, she's trying to so say That's the only thing she I, could think of to do. I kind of, I, I I'm kind of okay with that one. And then taunt him. Now that was weird, sadistic. You're getting older, Cantor. <laughs>
0: You're getting feeble. You're, You're getting older, Cantar. You know, it's like, what? And it was your feeble Cantar dubbed in afterwards.
1: Oh, it, it, yeah. If it, so, yeah. It, it just made the scene feel rather disingenuous.
0: There wasn't there wasn't a single there wasn't a single scene of Helena hiding where it looked like she was talking or shouting. I at, noticed you know,
1: that, but, and normally, and the I voice can...
0: didn't sound right either. No,
1: it didn't. It it was very um very looped. Normally, I can give these things sort of a pass, but this time it bothered me.
0: It feels to me like they shot the scene without that, and they and then watched they added it, and it. they go, you know something? I don't know that these stupid people watching this are going to understand oh, God. that he's yeah. getting older, so maybe maybe we should give it some narration. That's what I what it feels like to me. And then they're like, why would she be narrating that? Oh, because because she's shouting at him? I don't know. That was, yeah. Um, let's see, and then the only thing I have that I can think of um, is oh, all oh, we just put the anti gravity rays on them and they go back to their original course.
1: Mm, yeah,
0: wouldn't the anti gravity rays have prevented them from cracking? Yeah, possibly. Well, they said it was. Well, the I get why. Well, well why not
1: just use the anti gravity rays when they're approaching the moon in the first place? If they thought that they were going to be a threat, just repel them and repel them. You know, okay, out of the way, you're gone. Bye bye. I wasn't
0: clear. Well, obviously, it was just a quick way at the end to get rid of them. But I, I wasn't clear. I don't think it was. It wasn't repelling them. It was just making them not realize the moon was there. And so they turned around and headed back on their course. Mm. So I'm guessing that they wouldn't have thought of that right off the bat, because why would you think of that? But but at the same time, if we have anti-gravity technology, which they do, when Cantor said to them, the moon's gravity, now that they're in the moon's gravity, they will crack in 56 hours or whatever it is and, and be sundered, that Maya would have gone, well, we have anti-gravity rays, we could... We could project anti gravity at them and prevent and them pres- from cracking. prevent
1: them from cracking. True, she
0: wouldn't necessarily know that they were going to leave orbit, but you know that would have been a quick and easy solution to you know give them more time uh, if they had been you know humane people and not just talking about being humane people. Right. Um, one of the one of the I guess the last thing about this episode then is going to be the final scene with Tony and Maya. I know we talked about it a little bit but this is one of the scenes that has stuck with me forever this is to my mind this is possibly the the most famous or second famous scene yeah it's probably the second most famous scene that i can remember um from all of series two really that scene where you know she's saying come on tony be known as a man of principle. He's. I'd rather be known as, known a, as man a man of, of taste. taste. That just... And not, not because of anything other than just, I don't know, it just stuck with me. And, and the other one is also a scene between Tony and Maya, later on with his beer. And it, it's just something about that. The actual dynamic between Maya and Tony works for me. Yeah. They've got good... Yeah, they play off well each other. Koenig and Russell does not. Nobody would be convinced those two are a couple. It just it doesn't work for me. But, but
1: I mean, aside from the fact that they were married in real life, right? But I know it, it's, they don't
0: act like they do in real life either, or they don't act like Koenig and Russell in real life.
1: Yeah, but yeah, but Russell doesn't act. She's got she has a face that doesn't move. Ah, <laughs> oh, damn it! I did it
0: again. Uh, you're thinking of the clay statue again. I, I well,
1: no, I'm, I'm just th- I'm just thinking of that stretched Botox face I'm sorry so
0: I think that wraps it up unless you've got anything
1: else about this particular episode of Space
0: 1990
1: not that not really I mean it's just kind of there and I fear that that's going to be the case for a lot of episodes that we see from now on
0: I I haven't looked but am I right uh, in my assessment that the next episode is a moment of humanity I think it is Yeah, I thought based on your comments. Yeah, I I know exactly what you're talking about. Okay. Well, Ben, thank you for joining me. Oh, it was a pleasure. And listeners, I do hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. Cheers. Fusion Patrol is a Lone Locust production. Like us? Please consider becoming our sponsor at patreon.com slash fusion patrol. We'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a review on iTunes. Stop by and visit us at our website, fusionpatrol.com. Search for us on Facebook under Fusion Patrol. Check out our Twitter handle, at Fusion Patrol. Or just send us an email at feedback at fusionpatrol.com. Please come join the conversation. Our music is Fight the Future by Amber Wolf.